Well, uh, I just want to thank you again for joining me tonight to have a discussion. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very happy to have you. Um, so I'd just like to start off by asking, where do you feel like we are right now as a people at this current moment in time in history? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question because I'm answering it from the perspective of a 26-year-old white girl who studies psychology in San Diego, um, and I'm answering it as someone who works with a lot of different people and a lot of different families and really gets to... Um, I really work with people in this like very depth and dark and darkness and you know all their all the um, parts of their being and a big part of that also the parts that they don't really share with other people and from that I learned that we're everybody is so so different so when I hear where are we as a people it kind of feels hard to answer that because I think that everybody is so so different um, and at the same time we have so much um, so many things in common as well. Um, so, but what I see from my perspective at my age group is I feel like we're at this place where we're right on the brink of a completely new way of being, but we're just not there yet. And I see a lot of people, um, I think in my generation that are beginning to break free from a lot of the societal patterning, intergenerational patterning, all the patterning. Um, and some people are going into really productive, healthy um, places. And some people are going to the other extreme um, where they're becoming like kind of hypersensitive and kind of going into a self-victimization um, role. So I kind of, I kind of view where we are as a people from that perspective if that makes sense more the um I, I feel like psychologically we are um in this like transition phase of entering into a completely new way of being but we're just not there yet if that makes sense no it makes total sense like um what what do you see that like new way of being like developing as or unfolding as if you could like put your finger on it to the extent that you can can yeah, I think a really interesting thing that's happening these days is that um, you you could really do anything. There is practically, like, um, any job that exists, you can do. You can make it up, and you can do it, really. Um, and so I think something really interesting is happening where for the first time in history, um, I would believe, um, all of a sudden, we have a level of freedom that we never really had before. And I think within that space of freedom, um, it's a lot people are kind of doing with that what they will. So I, I do think that some people are kind of taking that level of freedom and they are nitpicking the world, um, if that makes sense. They're saying there's something wrong here, there's something wrong here, there's something wrong here. And then there are other people who are taking that time and that space and they're going inward and they are completely reevaluating their sense of self and how they're showing up in the world and what value they want to add to the world. Um, I forgot your question. Can you repeat that? Yeah, no, uh, my question was just like, you mentioned like we're transitioning into a new way of being. And my, my, my question is just like, what do you see that new way of being as? And oh, okay. You're so, answering yeah, it well. I see on right. like one side of the pendulum, I see people getting really, really um, like kind of um, moving into hypersensitivity. Um, but I feel like that... I feel like that's getting flushed out as a, as a society and we're moving into a, and this might not be until like farther into the future, but we're moving into a more integrated place as an individual and the more individuals we have that are integrated um, and by integration, I mean being able to accept all the parts of themselves. Um, I, and then I think as each individual reaches that integration, we have, um, all of a sudden, a collective that is um, integrated. When I say integrated, I do. I also am referring to um, just all the aspects of self that we've um, rejected, both individually and collectively. Um, and I do. I am a fan of like Carl Jung. I think he's really, really cool. I love his work and um, and his talk about the collective unconscious and. Um, as well as like the individual unconscious. And so I think
think it happens at an individual level, but then there will be um, this new place of that unconscious being integrated into consciousness. Um, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, no, that like makes Sometimes it... with young, especially, it can get really complicated. Well, for sure, yeah. I'm a big fan of young myself, and um, I, I hear you on that. Like, I was going to ask you, what do you feel like from your point of view are the things that both individually and on like a societal level are the things about uh, ourselves and our society that get like repressed like what do you think falls into that repressed state um i well again it's very um individualized and so i do think that it really just depends on each unique person um and but I will say that, um, and it has a lot to do with like your family patterns and stuff like that. So it's the stuff that brings us the most shame. So one thing that would be very, very shameful for one person might not be as shameful for another person. Um, I do, it's a good, it's a good question, but it's something that I wouldn't be able to fully answer because I think that we're so, um, we're also different um one thing that i do see kind of happening that i noticed is that um people are kind of repressing their opinions i i feel like i noticed that a little bit for the sake of um really tending to their audience and so to be unfiltered in this day and age is a really like bold statement to make um, and yet we, I think we need more people like that to be unfiltered and raw and to really show the truth of the, um, of the human experience and to not be afraid of, um, hurting feelings or, and letting people be responsible for how they interpret that information. Um, collectively, as far as like what the press coffee, that's a good question. I don't really know how to answer that question. That's but, Okay. Uh, I was going to ask you, you mentioned like people kind of not speaking freely and like, what do you think is driving that kind of self-censorship that we're seeing? Well, we're, as humans, we're biological creatures at our core and we are wired for connection and we are wired, we're programmed essentially that rejection is the most, um, fatal thing that could possibly happen to us in a sense and despite you know it being 2022 at its core we're still these social creatures um and so i think more and more especially with the rise of social media and you people are putting everything out there and there are some people out there that are putting you know amazing content out there um everybody has their own opinion but um if you don't have a very strong sense of self um it can be easy to really filter and repress your truth because you don't want to be seen as other because if you are seen as other, then you will be rejected. And to be rejected is quote unquote deadly, which can really, you know, wreak havoc on a person's nervous system if they're not really, um, they haven't done a lot of work on that. But there are other people who have really done a lot of work on themselves and are able to, um, speak their truth and able to separate um, maybe a societal rejection. Um, not enough societal rejection doesn't mean that they are being othered or rejected, but rather that there are people out there who don't understand them. So I really got to come down to mindset. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting just because, you know, thinking of my own experience, like I've been in, let's say, like a, a, a philosophical discord channel and like, it's like a lot of echo chambering going on where like a lot of really vocal people have a lot of vocalized a lot of the same opinions and like take a lot of pride or like not necessarily pride, but satisfaction in all of being able to share their very congenial like, <laughs> you know, like it, it like it's all very like kosher for them to be able to be like spout off whatever their ideas are and then some of it I agree with and some of it I don't and like wanting to like express my point of view but I like in this instance <clears throat> when I did so like I got kicked out of the group and so it's just this like you know I mean it doesn't really bother me too much it's just more of like a, a reflection of how I see kind of like this very niche, you know, aspect of social interaction on social media that, where it's like, 
you know, it's like, to me, it's like just unfortunate that like there's this group of supposedly open-minded philosophical thinkers that are kicking people out for expressing divergent opinions. And it's like, if you want to shut me up, just show where I'm in error instead of just kick me off the platform and silencing me in a way where it's just going to reinforce your own pre-established, you know, opinions or whatever, formulated opinions. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, I, I, you know, it's like this, um, intensification of like the polarities of people and their like kind of ideological camps that I see kind of, uh, as not great for society as a whole, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, there's so much value in having, um, you know, the reason why we've advanced so far as a society, I think, is because people were bold enough to share their thoughts. I mean, I've come as far as I've come um, in my, you know, short so far life um, because I've read so many books. And it's these people who were able to articulate their thoughts and put them into paper. And maybe not everybody agrees with them. And maybe sometimes I'll read things that I don't agree with. But I'm able to absorb their information, think critically about it, um, and then maybe have an intelligent discussion with somebody else. Um, And I think there's a lot of people out there that are still willing and able to do that. Um, I think one of the problems in, depending on the situation, is that people get so defensive. And it's almost like this never-ending cycle where you have somebody who kind of, what we've been talking about earlier, they have some repressed shadow stuff, they have um, a dysfunctional nervous system, and then all of a sudden somebody challenges their belief system, and then they, instead of, saying, oh, that's interesting. Someone thinks differently than I do. I don't have to adopt that truth as my own, but I can listen and um, allow myself to be expanded by it or maybe think critically and reject it or whatever it happens. Instead, they react as this person is attacking me. And the only way that I can maintain my sense of security is to completely fight back. And, um, and it's unfortunate, really, because there's, I think there's so much you can learn from so many people. And I do hope that we get to a place where we can kind of have as many discussions as possible. And it doesn't mean that you have to abandon your own truth, but that you can still be open and hear um, what other people are saying, what other people learn. Because the way that we advance as a society is by collecting all of the knowledge that the people before us have I think books are one of the most amazing ways to do that. And books are kind of non-confrontational, you know, because you're just reading something. But. Yeah, you can always throw it against the wall if it, right. uh, <laughs> it angers you too much. That's how I feel lately when I'm reading Hegel. I just want to rip out pages and <laughs> throw them in the trash. But no, uh, yeah, that's a good point. I, I, it reminds me of an ongoing conversation I had with a, a old friend of mine talking about that very thing about like, we were kind of framing it as like, which is more dangerous, like being so open minded that you'll like take in new streams of information and ways of seeing the world and whatever that like you kind of lose your own sense of self or being so rigid in your sense of self that you just always are like rejecting anything that challenges your said sense of self, like which is more like risky, I guess. And um, for me, I guess it's, you know, being too rigid has is, is been the more risky. I, I'm reminded of like a, a Native uh, or American uh, Indian proverb, like, uh, when you come across an unknown trail, follow it to a point of knowledge. And that's just kind of how I've like approached learning in general. It's like, when I come across something I haven't come across, it's like, well, I got to figure it, you know, I got to like follow that trail to a point where I'm like, oh, of, of understanding. And uh that's always been like my, I don't know, just kind of default mecha- like way of going about that. But I, it's just, an, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> what would you say is more risky, like being so open-minded or being more closed-minded, which is a bigger risk to yourself and society? Um, I think being more closed-minded because being open-minded, being so open-minded is only, in my opinion, an issue to the extent that you have um not like not a very secure not not that insecure sense of self but not a very um I guess fully developed sense of self I mean children you know their minds are literally sponges they absorb absolutely everything and that's how they grow to the people that they become and then they kind of develop this 
sense of self. And ideally, I think from that sense of self, they then have an open mind where they're able to still absorb information and let things in. However, it doesn't shake that sense of self, where I think a child had an absolutely rigid mindset and did not let anything in. I I don't think they would develop um, very well because they're not taking in information and learning about the world. And I I think that um, a rigid, a rigid personality or a rigid mindset is just a manifestation of a not fully developed fully secure sense of self because it's almost like you're so you could so easily be shaken up that you have to protect your beliefs at all costs while someone who maybe has a more open mindset is somebody who is very secure in themselves and they say yes i will welcome i will absorb everything that you have to offer it will not shake me because i know who i am and i know what i believe in and i'm flexible enough to um allow you to influence me if i feel like it's correct but i also have my values in place that will filter whether or not i find the information you're giving me um, correct. It kind of makes me think of like growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Um, loosely, have you like read that book or heard about that? Uh, which was the first part? Uh, which mindset? Growth, growth mindset versus uh, fixed mindset. No, I haven't read that. Yeah. Um, so a fixed mindset is it's kind of how it sounds, but fixed mindset is very like all or nothing. It's um, I failed this math test, therefore I will never be good at math. While a growth mindset is oh, I failed this math test. Cool. That means there's more math I could learn in this world. Um, And so it's just the mindset that you have that kind of that you move through the world with. Yeah, totally. Um, What what do you feel like uh, enables a person to have a secure enough sense of self so that they aren't so rigidly um, rejecting other people's opinions out of hand with that and like kicking them off a platform, for example, for expressing them? Um, I, again, I study psychology, and so when you ask that question, I immediately think of attachment, and I immediately think of the the story of, um, not the story, but like the um, analogy of a child exploring the world for the first time, and they're the type, and you know, they want to climb a tree, and they look back at their parents, and their parents are supporting them. They're saying, yes, you can climb the tree. It's a little bit dangerous, which if you fall, we will catch you. Um, and we hope that you explore the tree and that you feel absolutely wonderful and confident doing it and all that stuff. And that's the kind of child that usually end up feeling pretty secure. They know that their parents are there, but they know that their parents trust in them and their ability to explore the world, where on the other hand, um, for more avoidant people, their parents just would not be there in the first place. There'd be no parents, and they'd be like, alone. Um, so they might not find the tree in the first place because there's no one there. They have no safety net. Well, and for more anxious people, they have maybe um, a, you know, their parents are freaking out, like, no, 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 you absolutely cannot climb the tree. You're going to climb the tree, and you're going to die, kind of thing, you yeah. know? You're going to crack um, your head so, open, kid. Oh, go ahead. Oh, like, yeah, like, don't do it. You're going to hurt yourself and die. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And so um, take that analogy, all of a sudden these children grow up into adults. And I think that um, it's a very, like, it's not a black and white one-to-one analogy in a sense. But I think the people who don't have that secure sense of self, um, it's that it's that feeling where like um, what you say can really affect my well-being. Um, I don't have a sense of safety in the world, and so the quote-unquote metaphorical parents in this situation is the ability to feel safe in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a there's a big rhetoric out there right now about having safe spaces and stuff like that. Okay. And I think a lot of people are kind of having this awareness of how important it is to have a safe space. I just think they're um, they think that the world should be their safe space, when in reality, what should happen is that um, people should be equipped with the tools and resources to be able to handle whatever life throws at them, which is similar to the secure attachment analogy of the kid climbing the tree and the parents say, um, you can climb the tree. We trust you. You have the ability to climb the tree. You have the tools to climb the tree. You have. You can. I, we know you'll survive if you fall. We know that if you fall and you hurt yourself, you're going to get better. You're going to heal kind of thing. Um, for people who don't have that sense of security, they might they might think um, 
they might go around. Sorry, this hell is not obvious making sense, but they might go around the world saying like everybody needs to cut down their trees because trees are not safe. And so it's really like this internal versus external thing where um, our internal toolbox is what allows us to be secure in the world, not the world being a secure place. Yeah, well, the world is definitely not a secure place. The only guarantee is imminent demise. I mean, <laughs> or like you know, like death ultimately. But I mean, yeah, it reminds me of a of an album, uh, the title of which um, was "The Only Illusion Is Safety." Um, uh-huh. But like, yeah, like you know, like developing a child or an individual up to to be able to cope with and deal with the inherent danger. Uh, <laughs> in the world and in life uh yeah no that's it's all very good and, and fascinating it, i was going to ask you explicitly about what you think about safe spaces because it is i know like on i don't know i've seen anyways on like youtube videos like um college age kids like kind of demanding like safe spaces and, and i feel like you, you kind of hit it on the head where like they almost assume that like the world needs to be their safe space when like that's an impossibility and i guess you know i don't know if it's because like us you know this uh younger generation is like um kind of been grown up with like social media and, or not social media per se but like technology and technology can be such a an attention grabber and then you know obviously like two parents working full-time jobs is um not leaving a lot of time for um guidance from parents directly in terms of like you know child rearing their children and uh i just wonder i can't help but wonder like what extent those two factors have played in children not feeling confident in themselves and then um it kind of manifesting as this like need to not let anybody or anything challenge what they consider to be the truth on any given situation uh, you know issue yeah yeah i'm definitely um in the middle as far as safe spaces go um i think because um again given my field um, I advocate for safe spaces in the sense of like trigger warnings and stuff, quote unquote, um, for people with complex PTSD and stuff like that. Um, I think it's a, and again, this doesn't take away personal responsibility, but I think it's a kind, it's a kind thing of society to do if they're saying like, hey, we're about to talk about something that could impact your mental health. Um, you have the power to at this time um choose to engage with our content or choose to um leave it which i feel like is fine considering the fact that you never know what you're going to encounter when you come on the internet however i don't believe that we're i feel like that's something that a person who's making the content would do out of the kindness of their heart because they want to um be sensitive to their audience um however i don't agree with demanding the world to be a safe space and i definitely don't agree with demanding the world to be a safe place such to the extent that you use it as an excuse to completely um ignore your own inner work in a sense because it's very much um just completely ignoring your own internal world and you know there's the quote wherever you go there you are you know so it's it doesn't matter if the world's the safest place in the world. If you feel very internally um, dysregulated, that's going to reflect in your outer world. And so I think, you know, if people, I'm not, I'm not going to advocate and say nobody should have a, like, you know, don't put trigger warning or anything. I don't, I don't think that's true. I think it's up to the person creating the content. I just don't think that, um, I think it's better for the individual to, um, build up their inner toolbox and build up their inner strength and say, I feel sensitive about this topic. I'm going to choose not to engage in content that's particularly triggering, and I'm going to explore why this is such an issue for me in an actual designated safe space, which may be like literally like in therapy or in a group or like with friends and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Um, but then to run out in the world and demand <laughs> that complete strangers are your safe space it's it's you know i believe that people need to take responsibility for themselves and um you know there are some unfortunate situations where sometimes maybe you're not prepared and you do end up in a situation that is really triggering for you and in a situation like that i don't think that it's effective to point the finger at the 
um, at the other thing and say, you are triggering me, this is all your fault and you need to change, I think it's more effective to say, wow, this is triggering me. This is showing me something that I need to heal. And um, it's really unfortunate that this happened. And I, um, it sucks that it happened. And it sucks that the person was put in a position where they may have unintentionally ran into a situation that was very triggering for them. But yet at that point, it does become their responsibility on how they're going to handle that. Because, you know, I don't believe people really get anywhere from being coddled. Um, I think that you, you know, it's hard. It's, and I, I feel for people because I know there's a lot of pain in the world. Like I see it um, and I work with it. And I know that there's a lot of pain in the world, but the people who make it on the other side of the pain are the ones who are willing to face it, not the ones who are demanding that the world be pain-free because it will never be pain-free. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'm just, I'm wondering, like, uh, what do you feel like it, what is the process of, like, healing the pain that triggers people? I mean, obviously, it's, like, you know, unique to each individual, like you kind of um, mentioned many times. It's, like, all very um, particular to, you know, specific individuals and their specific, like, circumstances, but, like, in a general sense, what is the process look like for healing that pain to be able to integrate um, those unrecognized um, aspects of oneself to be able to like kind of be that uh, more of a individuated, you know, um, just like uh, individual person. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, you're definitely right with, like, everybody's experience and everyone's journey is so different and so individualized that it's hard to um, really put it into one answer, um, but I think, I think, I, I think a big thing that stuck with me is that insight is not enough, but insight is the first step. So the first step, you can't change anything that you're not aware of. Um, in a sense and usually people are motivated um, people have to reach something in life to be motivated to change because you could be the most you know troubled person in the world but if you have like very reinforcing relationships and everybody is just kind of you know reinforcing your misery and you only get attention because you're in such a bad place um, then Sometimes that's reinforced, and so there's not really any motivation to change. Um, however, sometimes every now and then there's like some kind of internal motivation where something inside of you, something bigger than you, says, this can't be my life. I need something different. And in those situations, specifically, it's very, very hard because you have to abandon all of your reinforcers in order to um, to change and to step into the healed version of yourself that you, that this part of you believes is possible. Um, and that can be really, really, really hard for people to do. But the first, I think the first step for people is having a commitment to self and a commitment to self-awareness and a commitment to noticing and following their insights. And um, on, on top of that, though, I mean, there's like practical stuff too. Um, I currently, and I've like, I've, um, researched and personally participated in so many different healing modalities. Um, and the one that I'm currently really interested in is internal family systems. Have you heard of internal family systems? Mm, not too much, no. Okay, so it was developed by Dick Schwartz, I believe. Um, and he essentially kind of coined this idea that we have all these internal parts. And this is actually very... Um, profound for me because I think a big part of healing is being able to separate yourself from the parts of you that um, are kind of you know sometimes have front and center stage so what that means is essentially like let's say there is a part of you that is really in pain and really um, really suffering and that part of you engages in a lot of really toxic behavior like maybe they um, overindulge in substances and they drink a lot and stuff like that Instead of saying to making that your entire identity and adopting the identity, I am an alcoholic, um, there's an identity of there's a part of me that is experiencing this addiction, but there's also the part of me, the self with a capital S 
that can be in charge here. And I do think that there's something really powerful in not fully identifying with the thing that um, trouble you and says, I'm an anxious person saying I have an anxious, there's a part of me that's really anxious. Um, and I think it's kind of this funny thing that happens where your true authentic self takes the driver's seat and it says, okay, I see all of you. I care about all of you. I know that there are some of you that are hurting and some of you that are um, struggling right now. I need you to trust me that I am going to take care of you. And this is very similar to shadow work and inner child work. Shadow and inner child are just like um, some of the most popular mainstream parts um, uh, that people have. But it really can be anything. And I think it's, it's your big self, your main self, your healthiest, most authentic version of self. Even if you haven't met that version yet, the part that you are trying to be, um, going into your internal world and taking charge and saying, okay, I know things have been rough, but I am here now and I'm going to do the best I can to um, help clean this up. Yeah. And I need you guys to trust me. And then sometimes your internal world just does not trust you and you have to convince them to trust you. And it's just, it's a process. <laughs> For sure. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say a number of things. Um, hold on one, one second here. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, kind of that thing that i don't know if you've heard it you probably have uh like i'm not in pain but pain is in me and so you like gain this distance between like you know because like like you said like um the awareness of the issue is kind of the first step so like bringing that kind of perhaps somewhat unconscious um pain to like like recognizing it for what it is Instead of just like passing over it and demanding people change to make you not have to feel that way. Uh, um, but going into it and being like, well, what's this about? Like, but like doing it in a manner where it isn't like your whole identity, but like the, the consciousness that recognizes it as painful as that being like your real identity. And um, having that like distance between the, the, the kind of knee jerk reaction and your true self being like a buffering where like you're not uh subsumed by the troubles but you're this like agent who can recognize it and be like like you said like how do we clean this up or how do we how do we um heal this yeah so i feel like uh yeah no it's 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 good insight yeah and kind of related to like when we started the conversation about how um i'm noticing that with um the where the world is going and this isn't the case for everyone because there's so many people out there that are so, so busy, but it's really hard to um, kind of notice your internal world when you're so, so busy. Um, but what I noticed is that there's a lot of people who just have this, it's not that they have like time on their hands, but it's that they may be in a job where they, um, you know, have to sit all day and they're just, they're not distracted by the world. Um, not that they're not distracted by the world because there's a lot going on in the world, but I mean, maybe not a lot going on in their life. Um, mm, yeah. We're in a period of time where we're more connected than ever, but yet people are lonelier than ever. Right. Um, more socially, like social media connected, but more lonelier than ever. Right. Um, we're in a, so we're in this world where all of a sudden I think people are, and you know, I can't actually speak to this because I wasn't alive hundreds of years ago. I don't know if they also had the, these feelings and they just didn't do anything about them, but I feel like we're in a period of time where people are, really I notice a lot of people are committed to healing or on the flip side that a lot of people are just very aware of their pain and they're just forcing the world to be a safe space for them um either way I think it's a good thing because often I think that we are heading into a space of more awareness and kind of like I just said insight's the first step but insight's not enough yeah definitely um you know I I, I can't help but feel like religion serve the purpose of you know psychological healing and that is like kind of more and more gone by the wayside that like people in past times could find solace in like scripture like prayer and contemplation and uh you know the different you know things that they got from the religious organization that they were like by default members of I mean, obviously, you know, nothing is perfect ever, but 
Um, but yeah, I, I, it's so fascinating the way we can be so connected digitally, but like physically and emotionally isolated. It's, 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 it's interesting, but I, 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 uh, I appreciate your optimism that like, um, the awareness, whether it be like in terms of impetus to heal or, uh, impetus to like create safe spaces, uh, both of which being like, uh, ultimately positive because it's just like an erasing of an awareness on some level. So I appreciate that. Um, I guess I'll move on to the second question. Like, um, let's see here. How do you feel like we got to the current position that we're at now as a, as a people? I know it's a general question, but like what, what are the circumstances or, uh, conditions that led us to where we're at now? Yeah, that's a good question. I do think, um, in part, it's just how everything is so accessible to us now. Um, we literally have the world, entire world at our fingertips and, um, I actually did a bit of a project on this and uh, I, I don't want to like quote science when I don't have my actual research in front of me. Um, so I'll do my best from um, memory, but our brains have this thing called, I think it's prediction bias or prediction error or something to do with how our brains predict the environment and it's how we create safety. And so it's, for example, I'm sitting in my room right now talking to you and I, my brain knows with 100% certainty that a polar bear isn't going to run into my room right now and attack me. Um, However, with the um, rise of social media and especially with scrolling, our brain can't really tell the difference between the fact like what's real and like what's on the phone. Um, So all of a sudden you're scrolling and all of a sudden you're in, you know, you can scroll and the next thing you're in a war and then the next thing you're at the zoo and the next thing you're in Paris and the next thing you're witnessing something really, really tragic somewhere else on the world and your brain cannot predict what is going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from a biological, physiological standpoint, that's scary, like uh, to not be able to predict whether or not the next, in the very next millisecond, you're going to be in the middle of a war. That's kind of how it's a, it's a little bit of an exaggerated thing, but it's kind of how our brains are processing this. And so, you know, um, when I think about how that's manifesting in terms of us talking about like safe spaces and, you know, people wanting to know if they're triggered, I mean, that to me seems like a very, uh, I like, I love this saying called it's the brain doing brain things. Um, mm-hmm. That seems like a very rational response for an uncontrollable world to gain some sort of control over it. Um, the only problem is that even though it's a rational response is that this is the world that we live in and it's going to be um, much more effective if you have an internal toolbox rather than um, trying to rely on the world to cater to that need, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, let's, let's, let's force the world into our, you know, into our needs as opposed to <laughs> developing the tools we need to, like, kind of adapt ourselves to the world. Um, hmm, that's, that's a really interesting point. Um, I, I, I just think of it like it's so taxing, right? Like on our nervous system uh-huh. where we can, yeah, like one second, see these like beautiful landscapes uh, of these amazing places on earth that we could like never travel to. Um, and then in the next instant, like <laughs> see these horrific images and it's just like, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, um, and it's just, it's very, it's the first time in history that our brains have ever experienced such a thing before, because, um, you know, our, in our original, um, like very primal brain, just the, you know, way, 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 way back in the, in the day, um, the world might have been dangerous, but it was predictable in the sense that, like, a lion could attack you, but you knew a lion could attack you because you are where lions live, in a sense. So there was this prediction, this ability to predict the fact that you could be in danger. Um, mm. All of a sudden, life has become unpredictable, in a sense. And I, and, you know, that can be really scary and really dangerous for a lot of people's nervous systems. But on the other side of that um there will never ever 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 be a time in the in life in the world where we will have full 
ability to predict what will happen next. And so it really is a crucial part of the human experience to be at peace with how unpredictable life is and life can be. Otherwise, you'll just you'll you'll be fighting a war that you just cannot win because you'll there is the unknown will be forever. So might as well work on your relationship with it. Yeah, I agree, and it, it's funny because I think some of like my own darkest times in my own like psychological development have been precisely like trying to make sense and predict or make sense of the unfoldment of certain developments that I felt like were kind of imminent and Uh ongoing and just like you know I would get wrapped up in being like well when is this shoe gonna drop like do I have five years do I have three years do I have 10 years and just that anxiety of kind of having a sense of what's coming down the pipe but not being able to predict like the exact unfoldment of it it was like very very just anxious ridden and like just like depressing and and it's like you know what I mean like um so I I get that like on a personal level and it it, it makes a lot of sense um it's just it's distressing yeah it's totally distressing like it just puts you in like kind of this fight or flight type or freeze right like and I feel like that's kind of like the downside of it all is that like instead of like fighting or fleeing or I just kind of froze for a number of years just because it was like so overwhelming to try to figure out and and meanwhile it's like all unfolding around me but no it's all good because I, I you know like again it comes back to like the inner work that you have to do to be able to adapt to your environment in the world mm-hmm. and whatever manifestation or form it's 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 unfolding into yeah. so um yeah. it's it's kind of distract it's kind of a distraction like to be too um focused on the externals without doing the internal work to make yourself like um a fortified individual to to respond in a healthy manner in whatever comes up in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of my intentions with the like career that I'm pursuing and the kind of work that I want to do is kind of teaching people how no matter what life throws at them, they have the skills, the resources, the mindset. Um, all of that stuff to handle it with grace and ease and intention and to find themselves on the other side of it, no matter like what it is, um, a stronger, as a stronger person. Yeah. Um, and that's a big driving force behind, um, behind like my intention behind like why I chose to study psychology. Yeah. Have you, uh, are you familiar with what's his name? Bruce Lipton or something like that? Uh, but Ooh, that sounds familiar, but I'm not. I'm not. It's uh like he wrote a book called Biology of Transcendence or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a biologist that took uh cells, like identical cells, like cells, like had them replicate, and then that made like three replications of these like single cells and put them in different environments. And in one environment, the cells formed tissue, and the other one, it formed bone. And then the other one, it formed something else. And so his like kind of discovery from his experiments were like life or cells or like life um, responds to the environment or like in genes, like genes respond to the life. And so if you can control the response, you can control your life. And so like no matter what, like you're saying, like life throws at you, being that conscious individual, being able to respond to it in a healthy manner means that you have like an agency and that you're not like this determined cog in a machine that is just has to be one way no matter what like you have the power to respond in a healthy manner no matter how unhealthy your environment is because you have like um epigenetic like like you know like um that's what his like work dealt on was uh, epigenetics because you had this like um higher order um awareness of 
how to you know just basically respond to your environment so yeah, yeah uh I, I i agree with that uh wholeheartedly so uh commend yeah. you for your i love that yeah i think um all and i i think that's a really um people in a world where you might feel powerless over the world you actually do have all of the power and it's in how you respond um there are you know kind of aspects to this that i also find really interesting in the sense that um, I've done um, some research and have like just a strong personal interest in how our brains can potentially like, basically be hijacked by the foods that we eat. Um, and mm-hmm. so in a situation like that, you know, there are some times where if you're eating food that isn't good for you, your brain will be inflamed. And if your brain is inflamed and something happens, you're more likely to respond um, from maybe not the not not from the best version of you where if you are in a state of <coughs> nourishing your body correctly and you are um uh eating well for you as just like one way um you might have a healthier response to something not just not even just because of your own internal mind mental resources but just because your own gut bacteria is working for you in yeah. a good way which is a whole other realm of discussion <laughs> yeah uh, i was going to mention like the brain gut access uh-huh. and you know yeah like just totally um you know i i completely agree like diet is huge because um it, it, it's just so it, it it's huge and just like the environment you're creating in your gut which has actually a lot to do with like how you feel like mentally yeah, and then how you feel has a lot to do with how you respond. I mean, I, I've done so, so, so much work on myself, but if I feel, if I, like, you know, if I'm just not taking good care of myself that day, I don't respond to situations in the best way, despite how much internal work I've done on myself. But what it does, what the internal work has done is give me the opportunity to tap that insight and say, I did not respond the way that I ideally would. Um, why and what can I do to respond differently next time yeah totally um yeah. cool deal uh let's see Oy. so where do you, you mentioned at the outset that you feel like we're um heading into like a new new way of being and I kind of um questioned you like where you feel like that was or you know what that what that what did that look like and um I kind of feel like we, we, we sort of touched on that um, sort of at the at- outset towards the beginning. Mm-hmm. But um, just to, to, to kind of reiterate it, like, where do you see this train going uh, that we're all on? Yeah, and honestly, um, I, it's kind of funny because we've been talking this whole time about how unpredictable the future is. Right. Uh, and how now I'm going to try and predict it. So, um, but, and you kind of mentioned this, I am, I am pretty optimistic. Um, I'm a big, um, I, uh, I just, I believe in the world. I believe that, I believe that people can become the very best versions of themselves and that, um, the world can become a better place. And I might be, um, I might be delusionally optimistic, but (laughs) the mindset that I have, um, so I guess the question is like, where are we going, you know, as far as, as like, as time evolves and evolves and evolves? I do think that every, um, every generation, um, I, I feel when I look at the world, I feel like we move forward, even if it doesn't look like we're moving forward. Um, so within the terms that we've been like talking about related to kind of psychology and more, um, spirituality, I do feel like we are entering into a healed world um, where my gener- like my generation, I notice a lot of people are dedicated to their healing and healed people raise healthy, happy children and healthy, happy children create a wonderful world. And it's a very, very overly simplistic view because, um, you know, the world isn't that black and white and it's definitely not that simple. And it's definitely, you know, there are a lot of people out there that aren't contributing to their, that aren't trying to heal themselves. But if you don't work on yourself and you just keep the pattern that's been passing down from generation to generation to generation going, 
um, and just goes and goes and goes until someone comes and it breaks it. And I don't know, it might be, I don't know if this always existed in the world or I'm just really aware of it because we live in a time of social media where everything is available at our fingertips. Uh, I mean, I can just, I can just Google something and I have access to it. But I feel like out in the open, there are a lot of pattern breakers. And if you break the pattern, then you're guaranteed to start a new pattern. And if you are breaking a pattern of intergenerational trauma, then you're more likely to, if you choose to raise children that have a different upbringing than you did. And by raising children that have a different upbringing, they respond to the world differently. Um, and so it's funny answering this question because like when I answer it, it's, it's, it's obviously going to be like a very slow piece by piece by piece. Um, non-linear because nothing in life is linear <laughs> kind of change. Um, but it's the, it's the change that I see. It's one of the reasons why I feel very drawn to like working with children um, because they are the future and it's important that they, um, you know, that they have healthy models to, um, to, as they develop and grow in the world and the healthy models, I think there are a lot of people these days that are working on being the best version of themselves and not everybody but I do I see it a lot and maybe it's because of the field I'm in I'm in a field where people very deliberately come up to you to say hey I want to change and become a better version of myself um so that might be where my own bias is um but that's what I see yeah well I I like what you see it's a good thing to see you know I feel Mm -hmm. like uh if the future is gonna be uh better then it, it is what needs to happen for sure. Um, hmm. Well, very good. Um, it, it, it's implicit where we should go. We should, you know, <laughs> right? Because that's the next question is where should we go as a people? Uh-huh. And yeah. I'll, I'll just put it to you directly, even though I feel like I, I have a sense of where you, you're going to go with it. Yeah, where should we go? And again, it's also, I think, um, kind of funny differentiating the difference between um, people versus the individual in a situation like this. So, as a as a people, as a as a collective, um, you know, I my hope would be that we uh, get go into a future where we're much you know, where that's just abundant in love and compassion, and you know, it's a very idealized. Um, view of the world and I completely um, I want to acknowledge acknowledge that um, but I think that you can't come to a collective outcome unless every single individual does something so it's not like it's not like oh all of a sudden we're all collective it's each individual doing something to create change and then therefore all of a sudden there is like a collective change um, and the topic that we're we've been discussing is such a very, very, very small piece of the puzzle. Um, but, and yet it's the part of the puzzle that is most, um, it's the part of the puzzle that I like, I like to study the most and I like to read about the most and all that stuff like that. So um, I think my answer to where we should go is forward. <laughs> what, um, what does forward look like to you? What does it look like? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I think, it looks like a a world where people, um, I think a world where people take responsibility for themselves is huge. Um, a world where people are, there's a balance of taking responsibility for yourself, but also extending kindness to others. Um, there's a balance, a balance, there's a lot of balance. It looks like, it looks like balance. There's a balance between like, I care about your well-being, um, and then the other person saying, Thank you, and but I don't expect you to make the to cater to me just because, um, just because, you know. So, balance is that kind of answer? Yeah, no, that's a good answer. Yeah. And then, um, what do you feel like the most pressing issues are of our day and age? You know, it's kind of it's kind of funny. Um, sorry for not answering directly, but um, I was walking on my dog on the um, 
on the street and this person um, approached me and he stopped me and he said, what's one thing that you would change about the world? And I said, what's one thing that I would change about the world or what's one thing I am changing about the world? Because I felt like those were two different questions in this sense that there is so, so, so much that you could change about the world. Um, and so the most pressing thing, but there, but there's only so much that I can change about the world. And so um, I still feel like when I hear the question, what do you think is the most pressing um, thing in the world right now, I think of all these different things that I could say, um, but the but the truth is that I have my own like very specific approach to life, and so with the um, what's most pressing, I think is people really committing to themselves, people committing to their journeys, people committing I, I, a real commitment to self balanced with um balanced with the ability to be of service to others and so um pressing issues I feel like I'm not answering the question by pressing issue do you think do you mean like a concern um yeah like a problem that needs to be dealt with essentially yeah a problem that needs to be the problem that needs to be dealt with. I, gosh, it's a, it's a good question. I, I think one of the reasons I'm answering so slowly is because my mind is both swarming and yet also nothing feels like I can articulate correctly. Um, it's okay. You could, you could be quiet for like <laughs> seconds or minutes or it doesn't matter to me. <laughs> you can think okay. about it. Yeah, I definitely have a problem. Like I definitely have my own issue with my relationship with being quiet. Um <laughs> I think the most pressing concern, uh, if I were to kind of, if I were to be given one, um, like one magical opportunity to just help people with one thing in their life, it would be their relationships because the world, um, we run on relationships and we heal through relationships. And I think it's, it's it might be very simple but I think taking people for granted um and and again blaming other people for maybe your problems and turning the finger outward instead of inward is a can be a really big problem and so if I was given a magic wand and it was and I could just um change and I could just help everybody with one thing in the world it'd be the ability to navigate the relationships in a very healthy and conscious place because I think failure to do so is detrimental to our well-being um but the ability to do so successfully is the key to having a really um wonderful future well that's lovely it's a good answer no no it's good uh I I'm like I have an issue with not being quiet I, I i have to ponder for uh an extended period of time before i have any thought worth mentioning but <laughs> but um no that's great um i i love uh your emphasis on uh in terms of you know where should we go as a people from here uh bringing it back to a very um what i would consider a jungian point of view of like the future of society depends on like the quality of individuals that make up that society. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And it kinda, you know, um plays into your answer on like what's the most pressing issue is like having healthy and um healing relationships with uh yeah. with ourselves with the people that we and with whom we, yeah. we relate. I think one of the greatest things I've learned is how you relate to yourself is how you relate to others and how you relate to others is how you relate to everything which kind of brings me back to the tree analogy with the secure parents versus the anxious parents versus the avoidant parents etc and you know how they related to their kids became how their kids related to the world um and how you relate to the world it's how you relate to money it's how you relate to family it's how you relate to food um, whether or not you have an insecure or secure relationship with all these things in your life. And so really any, everything to me boils down to the very simple idea that 
it's how you relate to life and all of life consists of, um, yeah, through our relationship with everything. Yeah, I love that. That's good. That's that's a good insight. I I agree. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much. I feel like we've touched. We've just kind of ran through all the <laughs> all the questions. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything else uh, you you would like to to say or or add, um, in relation to any of the questions or any of the uh, things mentioned. Um. Yeah, I think I just I think they're really great questions, and I think that um, I while I'm answering them, I want to have like this really broad you know, answering from all different perspectives kind of thing, but I can only answer kind of like how I started this. I can only answer from the perspective of a 26 white girl study, 26 year old white girl studying psychology in San Diego. Like that is so it's, um, it's all through my perspective of the world and kind of one of the um, points that I was hoping to get across through this is that oh. everybody is so different. Everybody is so unique. And um, I, want to um a kind of again having that we talk about like having that secure sense of self and that secure belief system this is um genuinely what i believe in um and at the same time i want to acknowledge that i have my own biases and i have my own blind spots and still so much to learn <laughs> for sure i mean yeah and that that's kind of one of the interesting things about the i think about this this podcast that i'm doing is that like the the questions are are just very you know set in place of what they are and they're so broad and it's kind of like every person i t get to talk to um has their own vantage point from which to answer them and so right. even though it's the same set of five questions more or less it's you know there are some similarities but there's a lot of you know differences and it just goes to show like the uniqueness of each individual person and so even though it might seem like a ridiculous premise for a, a podcast I, I i find it immensely um enjoyable and rewarding so i i, I including your own uh point of view which i, I feel like is uh it, you know it it is you your, your point of view is very um i would say important um and very um focused you know um and and it that's a good thing because it's an important perspective and to have a focal um important focus is like you know it's it's a good thing um but maybe maybe at some point in time we can broaden out the conversation to um you know like you mentioned blind spots and like not that like you know i mean blind spots are interesting because like we all have them right mm -hmm. and uh it's it's one of those things about having our own points of view that like they ne they necessitate a blind spot. Isn't it weird that like our our physical eye has like a hole in it and that like our mind makes up the hole of like what ought to be where there is no vision in like the physical eye. Yeah, there's a lot of weird crazy Isn't that stuff so crazy? And like it, it just is like a perfect um parallel for how we all have blind spots like in our physical vision, like without our mind interpolating what would otherwise be in this center of our vision, there's this hole because that's where the light comes in to reflect what we're seeing. It, it, it's just like a perfect, yeah, just expression of the fact that we all have blind spots. And yeah, I love that. My, my, my like um, one critique of your very important and narrowly focused or, yeah, just focused point of view would be like, the the pe like because I love your optimism like with the passion, but like the pessimist in me is like, well, there's this other really dark shit that's happening that might like throw a wrench in all of it. But that's why it's so important for people like you who have your passion to be doing the work that you're doing, both like for yourself and for like you mentioned the children because that's the future. And I uh, you know I agree like totally wholeheartedly. Well, the um the interesting thing about life is that you can never know how good it is unless you know how bad it is and like you feel like you can't have hot without cold and you, you can't know dark unless you know light and you can't know um you know uh any other opposites and yeah. stuff. so 
I, uh, I welcome the darkness. I think it's very important to acknowledge it because without it, you'll never know the light side. Yeah. Yeah. It's a polarity of life, you know, like it's funny how we think of like death as like this event at the end of life, but really like, you know, the, the, the monks and, and the sages throughout time have known that like life and death are one, like, everything we consume to stay alive is the death of another living thing like death is an event at the end of life it like travels with us from the moment we're born to like our last breath you know mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah i i, I recognize that make peace with the unknown it's the ultimate yeah. the ultimate <laughs> yeah and, and and just responding to whatever arises in a healthy manner like you like you described <laughs> Well, wonderful. Um, I thank you again, and yeah, um, I appreciate you. (laughs) Okay, thank you so much. It was great talking with you. Good talking with you as well.